Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode's sermon, we're going to continue talking about what it means to be a part of the church. And last week, we spent our time exploring 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and talking about the most important thing, the first thing you can do for your church, the first thing your church needs from you is for you to love your church. Now this week, we're going to be digging deeper into one of Paul's famous analogies for the church, that the church is the body of Christ. And I'm also going to be talking with you about a problem that I pretty frequently ran into with my very first car. And we're going to see what those two things have to tell us about what it means for us to be members, to be parts of our church today. So let's get right into this week's sermon. So last Sunday, we started into a new series of sermons called We Are the Church. And we started talking about what it means to be a member, what it means to be a part of our church, Melbourne Heights. And we started last week by talking about the biggest misconception that our culture has when it comes to being a member of any group or organization. And that misconception is that membership means perks, that membership means privilege, that membership means being served. We believe that membership is about perks and privileges and being served, but we're wrong. We're wrong. So if that's what you think it means to be a member of Melbourne Heights, I've got some bad news for you this morning. Being a member here, being a part of our church, it doesn't entitle you to any perks or any privileges, and it doesn't mean that anyone in this church is going to be your own personal servant. So we need to dig a little bit deeper into what it really means to be a part of our church. And we're going to start this morning by taking a closer look at something that the Apostle Paul, who just so happened to start more churches than just about anybody else in history, told one of those churches that he started about what it means to be a part of the church. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're finding it, let me tell you just a little bit more about the people that Paul was writing this letter to. He's writing this to the Corinthians, people who live in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a wealthy and a cosmopolitan center in the ancient world. And Paul was able to lead a lot of people in that city to Jesus and to start a church there about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. But Paul knew. Paul knew that he wasn't meant to settle down in one place. So Paul left Corinth to keep sharing the good news of Jesus in other places. But that doesn't mean that Paul left the Corinthian church or any other church that he started, for that matter, high and dry. Paul did what he could to, to stay in touch with these churches and to help them with whatever problems might arise. And one of the problems that the Corinthian church faced revolved around divisions in the church. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but there were people inside of the Corinthian church who had certain spiritual gifts that made them feel like they were more important than other people there. So these folks with the certain, these certain kinds of gifts, they were looking out for themselves and they wanted to make sure that they were getting the perks and privileges that they felt that they deserved. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is going to tell them what it really means to be a part of the church. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and see exactly what Paul tells them. We're going to start reading together in verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, does that mean that it's not part of the body? Or if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean that it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, 
God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like God wanted. If all were one in the same body part, then what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or in turn the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones that we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that we give the most dignity to. The parts of the body that are presentable, they don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts with less honor, so that there won't be division in the body and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, then all the parts suffer with it. But if one part gets glory, then all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ, and you are parts of each other. Now, I know this is going to sound a little bit strange to you, but when I read this passage of Scripture, I can't help but think about my very first car. And I know that sounds a little bit weird because we've been talking about the human body, but but it's going to make sense, so just go along with me for a few minutes. So by a show of hands, how many of you still remember your first car? All right, that's about what I expected. And based on your hands, it doesn't seem to matter how old you are or how many other cars you've driven or how many years you've been driving. Just about everybody remembers their first car. And I'm no exception to that. My first car was a 1999 Pontiac Grand Am, and it looked something like this. Now, I got that car the summer after my sophomore year of college, right before I started working at my very first church as a youth minister. And for a 20-year-old college student with practically nothing else to my name, that car was my pride and joy. It came with standard 15-inch alloy wheels that I kept polished to a shine. It had an arctic white paint job that just dazzled under the sun. It had the factory direct package that came with every Grand Am that gave those cars a sporty look that made them feel like they were racing down the road even when they were standing still. It had a gray cloth interior with bucket seats in the front and a roomy back bench that offered plenty of space when I wanted to take a couple of friends out to grab a bite to eat after class. It had a 2.4 liter engine that offered 150 horsepower and a low profile design that made it handle like a champ, even when it was on the windiest country roads. But no matter how much I loved that car, it had one big problem that popped up from time to time that made me get rid of it as soon as I could afford to buy another one. Now, the first time this problem occurred was after I had already owned it for a few years. And it happened right after I had taken it into a mechanic to have the oil change and stopped by a gas station to fill up the tank. So, at that point, with fresh oil, an engine, and a full tank of gas, I should have had a few hundred miles of uninterrupted driving to enjoy. But that's not exactly what happened. So let me tell you what did. After I finished filling up the, the gas tank, I grabbed the keys out of my pocket and I unlocked the driver's door. That's right, my car was a 99 model that wasn't equipped with keyless entry, so I had to unlock it the old-fashioned way. And I did that, and I pulled up the handle to let myself in. I slid into the front bucket seat, wiggling my way into the perfect position like we all do when we get into our cars. Then I reached back over my left shoulder, and I pulled my seat belt around and locked it securely into place. And then I did what everybody does when they get in the car, especially when they're 20 years old. I reached down into the center console. I grabbed my sunglasses out. I slipped them on and gave myself a glance in the rearview mirror just to see how cool I looked. And I got to tell you, I looked pretty cool. But 
that was 17 years ago and a lot's changed since then. But anyway, the next thing I did was I took the car in my right hand, I slid it into the ignition and I gave it a turn and the starter tried to fire. It tried to fire. But instead of hearing my grand am come roaring to life, I heard nothing but that unsettling sound of an engine that just wouldn't start. Now, that's probably happened to you too. Maybe it happened to you when you left your headlights on and you ran the battery down too low. Or maybe you took a little too long to fill up your tank and you ended up on empty. Or maybe you forgot to change the spark plugs or the starter died or your alternator went kaput. But my car, my car wouldn't start that day because the fuel pump relay, which is a small plastic part that tells your fuel pump to send gas to the car's engine, well, that piece went out. And at that moment in time, it didn't matter that the oil had just been changed because the car wouldn't run. It didn't matter that the gas tank was full because the car still wouldn't run. It didn't matter that the tires were properly inflated or that the windshield wipers had just been replaced or that the headlights were bright enough to blind you because the car still wouldn't run. That 3,000-pound machine couldn't do what it was meant to do because one little part, a part that was the size of a 9-volt battery, wasn't doing what it was meant to do. And in the scripture passage that we just read, in the scripture passage that we just read, Paul told us that our church is just like my 99 Grand Am. Because the church can't do what it's meant to do unless every part of the church is doing what it's meant to do. Let me say that again for you. The church can't do what it's meant to do unless every part of the church is doing what it's meant to do. I mean, just stop and think about it for just a minute. If the church is like the human body, like Paul compares it to, what happens? What happens when a part of the body isn't doing what it's meant to do? If your foot isn't doing what it's meant to do, then your whole body can't walk. If your eyes aren't doing what they're supposed to do, then your whole body can't see. If your tongue isn't doing what it's supposed to do, then your whole body can't speak. If one part of the body isn't doing what it's meant to do, then the whole body can't do what it's meant to do either. And that's because every single part of the body has a specific function, a specific job, a specific part that it is supposed to play. Feet? are supposed to walk. Eyes are supposed to see. Tongues are supposed to speak. And the same thing is true for the church. Every part of the church, every person in our church has a specific function, a specific job, a specific part that God has called you to play in our church. And if you aren't doing what you are meant to do in our church, then our entire church can't do what we're meant to do. If you're not doing what you're meant to do in our church, then our entire church can't do what we're meant to do either. So here's the second part of what it means to be a member of our church. Now remember, last week we talked about the fact that the first part of what it means to be a member of our church is that you are going to love our church. Well, here's the second thing that we need you to know if you're going to be a part of our church. We need you to do your part so that we can do what God wants us to do. We need you to do your part so that we can do what God wants us to do. Otherwise, 
our whole church ends up being just like that 99 Pontiac Grand Am when the fuel pump relay went out. I mean, this is a 3,000-pound machine, and everything else inside of that car was working perfectly. But one little part went out, and because one little part went out, because one little part wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, that whole car, that whole car was stuck. It was stuck exactly where it was. And if, if you're not doing your part in our church, we're going to be stuck where we are too. We're not going to be able to move forward. We're not going to be able to do what God created, what God has called our church to do. And all that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, we've reached a point right now where I could end the sermon and you'd all be happy because we'd go to lunch early and beat every other church in town. But if, if we quit right here, if we quit right here, we're going to be missing out on something that's so important. So we need to take a couple of extra minutes to talk about what your part is in our church. Because it's one thing to know that we need you to play your part. But it's another thing to actually know what your part is. I mean, it's one thing to know if you're going to be a fuel pump relay, but you actually have to know what that part is and, and what it does. So we want to help you. We want to help you know what your part is in our church. We need you to know whether you're an eye or an ear, a foot or a funny bone in the body of Christ, so that you know what you're meant to do in our church. And i got to be honest with you. There isn't a quick way for me to answer that question for everybody sitting in the sanctuary. There's not a quick way that I can answer this for everybody that's sitting here. Even if we had all, all day or all week or even all month, I couldn't answer this question for everybody that's here. So what I could do right now is I could stand up here and I could tell you about some of the ways that you can serve in our church, some of the parts that we need you to play. And as we think about our future and what our church is going to look like when we move beyond these walls, there are a lot of parts that we need you to play. There are a lot of parts that we need you to play. We're going to need you to play things. We're going to need you to do things like, like, like be greeters at our doors and welcome people when they're coming into our new space and help them find their way around. But that's not all. We're also going to need folks who are volunteering and helping out in our children's ministry so that when new families come through our doors, their kids have a great place where they can learn about Jesus on their own level. And we're going to need people to help set things up in our worship space and put signs outside of the building so folks know where to find us. And I could go on and on and on but instead of listing a whole bunch of jobs that we're going to need help with, I'd rather give you one question. One question that you can think about. One question that you can pray about. One question that you can bring to God. One question that you can wrestle with until you find the answer to it. And I promise you this. I promise you this. If you really think about this question, if you really pray about this question, if you really take this question to God and wrestle with it, then God's going to show you the part that he wants you to play, the part that he needs you to play in our church. So here's that question. How can I best serve my church? How can I best serve my church? What part do I need to play? What part do I need to play? Now, that's a great question. That is a great question. How can I best serve my church? And it's the kind of question that we should think about all the time. But the truth is, we don't. The truth is, we don't think about this kind of question very often at all. Most of us, you know, we have a role in the church, a part that we play, a job that we do, and we've just been doing it year after year after year, and we've never thought about why. It's just that we do it. 
We've never even thought of it still important to the church. We just keep doing it because we've always done it. And then there are other folks who have never taken on any kind of role in the church, who have never wrestled with this question at all to figure out what you can do inside of this congregation that nobody else can do. I mean, even I need to ask this question sometimes because, yeah, I have a title and I know that I'm supposed to be the pastor and the preacher in this church, but that that job is always shifting. That job is always changing. And you are always growing and, and changing and becoming something new inside of this place. So I have to think about what I can do to best serve this church right now. So we need to think about this question. How can I best serve my church? And I'll be honest with you, there's going to be a temptation. There's going to be a temptation when this service comes to an end in just a few minutes. There's going to be a temptation to let this pass in one ear and go straight out the other. There's going to be a temptation to not think about this question again once I say amen at the end of the sermon. That temptation is going to be there. But you got to wrestle with this question. You've got to ask this question. You've got to pray this question because we need you. Our church needs you to be able to answer this question because our church can't be what we're called to be without you. You may be that fuel pump relay in Melbourne Heights, that little part, the size of a 9-volt battery that gets plugged into the brains, the computer inside of the car, that doesn't seem big, that most people doesn't even know is there. I mean, truth be told, I once took that fuel pump relay into an auto parts store. I told them that I needed a new one for my car, and the guy told me my car didn't have one. And I'm like, here it is. It's in my hand. You may feel, you may be that kind of part inside of the church that nobody even realizes you're here. But if you're not plugged in, if you're not doing what you're meant to do, the whole car stops running. So we need you to wrestle with this question because you are that important to us. We can't be who God has called us to be without you. So yeah, in just a minute, I'm going to say a prayer. And the sermon's going to come to an end. And it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy to let what we've been talking about this morning go in one ear and out the other. It's going to be easy to forget what I've said. But we need you. Your church needs you to play your part here. Your church needs you to play your part. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already done it, to write this question down. I don't know if you're the kind of person who takes sermon notes every week or if you never write anything down. But even if you never write anything down, now's the time to grab your bulletin, to grab a pen, and to write this down so that you remember to ask this question. And don't just ask it one time. Ask it over and over again, but you have to ask it. You have to be sincere. You have to be honest about it. Because if you ask this question, if you bring it before God, God's going to answer this question for you, and you may not like what God has to tell you. But you got to ask this question because we need you. So write it down. How can I best serve my church? Because we need you to serve our church. We need you to play your part. We need you to pray this prayer. We need you to ask God how you can best serve our church so that our church can fire on all cylinders and go where God wants us to go, do what God calls us to do, be who God created us to be. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you now in this time of prayer, we thank you. 
for the chance that we've had over the last couple of weeks to wrestle with these questions about what it means to be a part, not only of Melbourne Heights Baptist Church, but of your church, God. We thank you for what we've learned. We thank you for showing us that as parts of your church, we're supposed to love your church and we're supposed to serve your church, God. And our prayer today is that you show us how we all can best serve this church. We bring that question before you, God, praying that you open our eyes, our minds, our ears. Let us hear. Let us see. Let us do what you want each of us to do so that your church can be exactly what you want it to be. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our Sermon Podcast. I hope that this week's episode has helped you see that your church can't be what God has called it to be without you. So let me encourage you to spend some time this week asking God, how can I best serve your church? Wrestle with this question. Take it to God and ask God to help you find the answer. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be finishing up the series by talking about one more thing that your church needs from you. And I'll tell you that the next one isn't quite as obvious as loving your church and serving your church, but it's every bit as important to helping your church be who God wants it to be. That episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to tell you that just because this episode's coming to an end, I hope you don't forget what you've just heard. So spend some time this week asking God how he wants you to serve his church. And we'll see you back here next week for another sermon podcast.